Yeah, it's, it's funny to be think of, think of uh, okay, the Christmas story seems like, okay, that's, 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 that's for somebody special. God used particular people, people that are not me or, or maybe you. It's one thing to be chosen for something special. It's another thing to choose to do that special thing that God has set before you, that God has, in fact, chosen you for. We think, well, well God chose. That would be automatic, right? Well, maybe, maybe not. I mean, what if, what if that special thing that you're chosen to do, it actually comes about in the midst of normal choices that you make in the day? Normal decisions that seem that they would be logical and common sense, the obvious thing to do, but how can you know for sure? Maybe God has you to do something that's not so logical, that's not as common of sense. Maybe, maybe what's normal in the normal world is not normal in God's kingdom, actually. What if God's choice, God's choosing, God's direction, what he would have for you is actually different than what is normal. How could you know? There's a character in the Christmas story that that's often we think of these characters and we think well, they are unique, they are special, they are historical. In fact, they are old or ancient historical that we put them over there or we put them up there. And what we miss in the story is those choices that were so life-changing and salvation-changing, earth-changing, that those choices that were made were actually very real day-to-day -day choices, choices like every younger person wrestles with, who should I marry? Where should I live? What should I do when faced with this difficulty? Those are the kind of choices that, well, there's normal, logical, common sense ways of making those decisions, right? But what if God has chosen you for something and the choice you make and those kind of choices are actually where that something that God has chosen you for, that's where it's going to be lived out. How can you know what to do? I'm going to step into the story a little bit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull off Pastor Bob. And I want us to get into the story in a way that will help us to imagine what would this have been like? What would it feel like to be pressed with those kind of decisions? Certainly, we weren't wearing a coat and tie on that day. It was probably something a little more common. God's man would probably wear a hat like this, you know, and the trade and all, uh, really, I'm not anybody special, I'm just an average Joe, just getting by, I work with my hands, I have a skill, I'm a builder, I, you would think of maybe a carpenter, but I'm a builder, I work in construction, I, I live in a small town. I make a living, we're getting by, we're getting by in a world that runs by Roman rules. Well, not only Roman rules, but 
old Herod's ambitions as well. You could say that as a man of faith, I'm caught between two worlds or, or two kings and two kingdoms. We live in this present kingdom and it's not an easy place to live. It's not an easy place to work. People lie. People cheat. People shortcut on jobs. People will take advantage of others. The world is not an easy place to work, is it? And yet here we are. But someday, someday God's king is going to come. And he's going to bring in justice and righteousness. He's going to bring in peace and prosperity. Then everything will be as it's supposed to be. You see, I'm a builder. But like Abraham, I look for a city that has real foundations. I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God himself. That's the kingdom that I'm looking for. That's not the kingdom that I'm living in yet. No, we still, while we wait for God's city, we still live under Rome. While we wait for God's king, we're still ruled by King Herod. And so I'm a man caught between two kings and two kingdoms. I'm trying to do the right thing, as God says to do, but today's world often says differently. So how, how can I know? It's not always easy, as it should be, to know what it is that God would have me to do in the midst of this world. For instance, okay, real life. I had a trade, I had a job, I had a skill, I've got, I've got good solid work, you know, I'm working on a lot of construction projects down, just down the road a bit from Nazareth, there's this big city of Sephoris that the Romans are making, it's just turning into a headquarters in the whole region, and there's all kinds of construction, there's plenty of work there to do. So I've got a good solid job, I've, I've got a, well I had a girl, we were going to be married. I was going to marry Mary. I know that's confusing. Mary, Mary, and all of that. But, but uh, yeah, we were going to get married. But then, I, don't really, I didn't really know what happened. But Mary all of a sudden takes off. And she has to go urgently and visit her, her, her cousin, her relative Elizabeth. And I don't know what's going on. What is she, is she running? Is she hiding from something? Is she trying to get away from me? Well, apparently it seemed like maybe she was because when she came back, she was expecting, you know, Pragers, a bun in the oven. And I don't know how this happened, but this much I knew, the child was not mine. My life, my plans, my dreams just took a dive into the dust. I was crushed. I didn't know what we were going to do. Everything that I was hoping for was gone. People were telling me that I needed, to, I needed to, to call Mary out. I needed to make an example of her. I needed to protect my own reputation in the midst of the scandal. I didn't want to make a spectacle of her. I didn't want to shame her. She was going to have enough to be dealing with. I didn't want to hurt her anymore. It seemed like the only thing I could do was to just kind of end the, end the engagement by divorcing quietly, officially ending our engagement and, and uh, just trying to move on with life but not make a spectacle for her sake. What, what other option did I have? But you know, 
just about the place when it seems like you're out of options and out of hope. That's when God seems to do something, isn't it? And that's what happened here. That night, I had a dream. I, I guess it was a dream. And in my dream, there was this angel, and this angel is speaking to me, and he says he's the messenger from God, and he's telling me not to be afraid to take Mary as my wife, that that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, that she is going to bear a son, and I'm to call his name Jesus. Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Wow. Okay. That's a lot to take in, just for a construction guy, you know? Really? How could I know that this was even so? I mean, is this just is this is this a vision from God or is just just my dream in my head? How can I know what to do with this? You know, it wasn't like a normal dream. You know how when you wake up and it first seems so real, but then when you're awake a little longer, it gets fuzzier and you can't quite... No, this wasn't like that. It's like the longer I was awake, the clearer it came. And yet, had God ever said anything like this before? Because, see, somebody told me once, when God is speaking to you, he always agrees with what he's already said. Hmm. Has God ever said anything like this before? As I thought about it, well, yeah, he had. In fact, being from the line of David, it was a story that I knew about because it was a story that was addressed to us in, in Isaiah in chapter 7. Isaiah is confronting this young, unbelieving, faithless king Ahaz who's who's in a desperate situation, but he's trying to make his own plan to save himself. And because he refuses to believe God, he refuses even to give God a chance to show him that he can trust him, then, then Isaiah says, this is a sign, not only for Ahaz and his, his cohorts, but for the whole house of David to know when God's righteous son of David has finally arrived to take the throne. This is the sign. The virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and he will be called God with us. Okay. Well, that sounds like what the angel told me and what the angel had also told Mary. So now I knew what to do. Now I could take, I could take this, I could take Mary as my wife, that God had chosen us, that God was going to take the, we too, descendants of David, and we're going to raise the child whom David himself called my Lord. He will save his people. We are his people, and yet we raise him. Look what God has chosen us for. So I know what to do. I took Mary as my wife, just as God, through his messenger, had said. And though she was my wife, we waited to completely come together to consummate our marriage because well, God had said, the virgin will bear a son. Now, I may not be the sharpest tool in the toolbox, but I know this much. 
I'm not going to put myself in the way of what God has said he's going to do. So, we were, we were pretty excited. I mean, we weren't just, we're going to have a baby excited. We were, God's Messiah is coming. The Savior is coming. God's kingdom is at hand kind of excited. Don't you guys get it? kingdom of God is at hand. Wow! And he's using us right in the middle of it. It's easy, to, it's easy to miss that. And yet in the midst of that, we're still in Rome's kingdom. And they came down with another grand idea. I don't know what Caesar was thinking. Maybe it was Herod's getting kind of old. Pretty soon Herod's going to go and we're going to have to figure out, we're going to have to sort out what we're going to do with Herod's kingdom. And so the emperor mandates a census. Everybody's going to be counted. Everybody needs to register in whatever town, city that they are going to be officially from. Apparently, they want to know what the taxing potential of the population in every area is, is going to be for. What can Rome expect? And so, that puts a choice before us. Where are we from? Where are we going to register I mean, really, we could register right here in Nazareth because we've been transplanted here. Our families have lived here, and we're from here. I work here. But then again, we are both from the family of David. Our roots are in Bethlehem. Maybe we should go and register there. What are we supposed to do? Do we live here? Or do we move there? Have you ever been in that kind of a situation? Kind of feel like maybe God's telling you, not sure. I don't have a, I don't have a word from God here. I don't have the, anything from the angel. But one thing Mary and I had been doing recently is we've been, you know, obviously God's put this right in front of us. So we've been, we've been going back over the prophecies about the Messiah. And one of them that I remembered was in the book of Micah. And the prophet Micah had said that out of the little town of Bethlehem, that's where the Messiah would come from. Well, if Bethlehem is where Messiah needs to come from, then Bethlehem is where we're going to need to go. And by looking at Mary, we didn't have much time. So we packed up the little, the little we had, and off to Bethlehem we went. It took us, I don't know, several days, maybe a week. I don't really remember. It was some time ago, all right? And as we, as we traveled to Bethlehem, we got there. And our plan was, once we arrived in Bethlehem, we had family. We had relatives there. So we thought that we'd be able to stay with relatives. Most Israelite families have your typical four-room Israelite house. And there's an upstairs room that's normally used as a hospitality room. It's a guest room. That's where you'd put guests if you had some show up. And so that's our plan. That's what we're thinking we're going to be able to do. Well, when we arrive at our relative's home... We found that others had been traveling as well, and that some other relatives are already there. There's no room in the room. Well, what are we going to do? Hospitality doesn't allow them. I mean, they can see Mary's condition, but hospitality doesn't allow them to kick out those that they've already sheltered. And so what are we going to do? Well, the mothers, fortunately, came up with a plan pretty quick. And they made a space in what you would think of as the utility room of that four-room house. This is the room also where, where you would do the cooking for the family. So that's where you could build a fire. You could build a fire, you could heat water, because that's what they do, right? I don't know why. You heat water, you tear up sheets. I, I don't know why you do that, but you do that. I'm, I'm afraid to look. 
But also because this utility kind of room is also the room where a family would be able to bring in, if they had small animals like a sheep or a goat or a donkey, they would bring those into that room at night to shelter them and also to keep somebody else from sheltering them, right? And so an animal could be brought in there at night, and, and because of that, then there's a little manger over here against the wall. Well, well that's going to come in handy. So there we are in Bethlehem, and we've gotten settled in, and that very night, that very night, the child, God's son, is born. And it just got more exciting from there. We, after the birth, we kept getting these unexpected visitors. First of all, there were these shepherds, right? These shepherds come in, and they're looking a little rough and raggedy, and, and, but not very sleepy at all. They come in, and they're so excited. They say that angels had come and spoke to them and sung to them and told them that unto them was born in the city of David there in Bethlehem a Savior who is Christ the Lord, that this was good news for everybody. And here they were. They had to come and see it for themselves. And once they came and saw, then they had to go and tell. And so, you know, other people were streaming by as well. Probably the most noteworthy guests of all were when the Magi showed up. These are kind of royal scholars from the east. Think Persia and Babylon. And they come, and, they, and they, when they arrive, they, they, they tell us that they saw his star all the way in the east. They saw a star just as the prophets had said, and so they had come to worship him. And so... They brought gifts with them. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. These, these bottles of, of ointments, they were, they, were, they were amazing. I mean, one of these little, little bottles could be sold for like 300 denarii a year's wages. We, we didn't know what to do with those. It seemed like awfully expensive for just anointing a, a baby, so we would save those for something more important. But the other, the gold that they brought, well, cash is always good. And we didn't know how soon... That was going to be needed. It was just after the Magi left that, again, I had a dream. And there's an angel in the dream. And the angel says, get up immediately and, and, and go to Egypt because Herod is going to be searching for the child. He's going to seek to destroy it. And so, thinking, okay, get up and go to Egypt. But Egypt? Now, we knew our history God had brought us out of Egypt. God had brought us out of bondage in Egypt into new life in this land. And so to stay in this land, our inheritance, trusting God, always seemed the thing that we should do. And now God's telling us to go to Egypt. That seemed to be a reversal of God's Passover, of God's deliverance. But then as I thought about Passover, I realized... That when God spoke about Passover in one of the prophets in Hosea, he said, out of Egypt I called my son. Oh, well, he's talking about Israel, though, that Israel was his son. And yet now he has sent his own son. And he has sent his own son for Israel. And even to be for Israel what we could never have been able to be for ourselves. And so just as he... Israel was called as God's son out of Egypt, so God would call his own son out of Egypt. Maybe, I don't know, maybe God's going to take his own son through the waters of the Jordan as well. We'll have to see how that goes. But 
I don't always understand what God is doing, but his scripture reminded me that what God is doing is bigger than what I can see in the moment. And I'm going to have to trust him. And if his word says, out of Egypt I call my son, then we're going to take his son and go to Egypt as he has said, because out of Egypt then he will call us. And so we're there in Egypt for a while. And after, after a few years, Herod has died. Things have restabilized under the rulership of, uh, for now, well, his kingdom's been split up among three different rulers. One of them around the Jerusalem area is his son, Archelaus. An angel comes to me at a dream, and the angel says, um, Arise and return to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life have died. Okay. Well, that would be one of Herod's other sons and Herod himself, and so I guess we go back to Israel. But he didn't say where. Are we supposed to go back to Bethlehem? I mean, that would make sense, right? Because Messiah comes from Bethlehem. And that's why God brought us there the first time. So do we keep doing what God showed us before? Or is there something different? Well, we could. Now, thinking about Bethlehem, it's a little scary because, I mean, if we return to Bethlehem, there's going to be a lot of excitement. People will remember us. People will remember what was said about this, this child. There are still those shepherds who heard from those angels, and there could be a big deal. There could be a lot of noise, and we're thinking low-key is better. There are still Herods around. I mean, they make too much of a fuss, and, and his, Archelaus' spies are going to hear. Word's going to get back to him, and... Who knows, maybe Archelaus, who now rules as king in Jerusalem, maybe he's going to be as paranoid and as brutal as his father Herod was. So we're concerned about returning to Bethlehem. Maybe we should go to Nazareth. We had roots there. We had a place there we could go back to as well. But God had brought us from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And yet, as we thought about it, like I said, Mary and I had been in scriptures about Messiah because here we are supposed to raise God's son. Hopefully there's something in this book that tells us how. And I thought about it. The prophets did say that God's son, the Messiah, was going to be despised by men. He would be mocked and scorned. He would not be recognized for who he really was. It would almost be as if he was from some backwater, looked down, despised village like... Nazareth. He'd be called a Nazarene. That would sort of fit. Not only that, but much more specifically, God had said, and again through Isaiah, just after all this stuff with Ahaz, Isaiah had said that it was in the land of the north of Israel, the land of Issachar and Zebulun, that it was there when those who walked in darkness would see a great light. In Galilee of the nations, that's where they would first see the Messiah when he came. So, that's why we were from Nazareth to begin with. Isn't it interesting how, how God has moved in, in history and God placed us there and then God moves us to Bethlehem and God moves us to, to Egypt and all of these choices that we're making along the way, all of them line up with what God has said in his word so that we return to Galilee with the Son of God, 
the light of the world, the light of the nations, so that he would be seen in Galilee, first of all. If I were to wrap it up, I would, I would describe it this way. Over and over, God was leading us. God was guiding us by his spirit. Sometimes an angel intervened. And yet, while God is individually, personally leading us, everything that God had said always agreed with what he'd already said before, what was already written in his word. Mary's pregnant. How could this be? Well, the virgin will be with child and bear a son. All right. I will not be afraid then to take her as my wife. I will not be controlled by the normal ways of this world. What to do when Rome tells us to register and an angel doesn't tell us exactly where to go? Well, again, some things you can study out for yourself. Some things you don't need an angel to tell you. You can just read God's word and see how you can walk in the middle of God's will. Off to Bethlehem we went. God says, go to Egypt. And I don't understand this thing that God is doing that's bigger than all of us. And yet his word says, out of Egypt I called my son. And Jesus is going to fit right into that pattern. Later, God calls us out of Egypt and back to Nazareth, that there in Galilee, just as God had written, those who walk in darkness are going to see him first. That was Joseph's life. It was an average, everyday life, really. And yet there's something that we can take away from Joseph. We think of the Christmas story and we think of Jesus, the Son of God, we're not like him. We think of Mary and Joseph, very unique and special personalities. We certainly couldn't be anything like them. And yet, God chose Mary. God chose Joseph. And as I told the kids, God has also chosen you. And yet, how we step into his choosing is in the choices that are set before us day by day. Very common choices. Who do I marry? Where do I live? What do I do next in, when a choice comes along? What do I do I next when I, I feel like God is telling me to do something? Maybe God is telling me to talk to someone. Maybe God is telling me to go here, to serve there. And how do I know? Is this just in my own head? Or is this something the Spirit of the living God is actually directing me because he has chosen me and he has chosen you? How can you know for sure? Whenever God speaks, he always agrees with what he's already said. And so is that which God seems to be provoking you in his spirit, by his spirit in your spirit, does that agree with what God has said in his word? Well, how are we going to know? That's why we read it. That's why we need to live there and feed our souls there because there God will, be, will speak to us and we can be willing to choose to do what God says instead of being driven by fear and what others say. And I can know for sure God's spirit I can be sure of his leading because his leading agrees with God's word. And I cannot ever convince myself, I dare not ever convince myself that I can always go ahead and do this because I just feel like this would be okay with God if it's not okay 
with what God has said in his word. Like Joseph, you and I need to and get to choose between two kingdoms. We live in the present kingdom, but we live for and we look toward his coming kingdom. And that's where we're going to invest ourselves. Like Joseph, we may feel torn between the two, but our joy will come. We'll not find it yet. Our fullest joy will come. Joy to the world will come when his kingdom comes. Until then, we can lean into it. We can step toward it. This Christmas story is about Jesus. It's about a woman, Mary. It's about a man, Joseph. Real, everyday people who chose to believe what God's messenger had said and what God's written word promised. You could listen to God's Spirit. Maybe this morning the Spirit is prompting you to believe what the written word has told you. That God has given his son to be the savior of the world. And his savior for you. That God's forgiveness is right there held out for you. And the spirit is saying, won't you believe it? Won't you trust me? And it agrees with God's word that says that God so loved you. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but would have his everlasting life, that that's the life that God wants to give in, that you can live in already toward his coming kingdom. It's as simple as this. Will you believe God in his spirit's prompting that agrees with what his word has promised concerning his son Jesus given and coming for you? Let's pray. Father, that is our heart's desire. That is what we want really most of all. Is that for everyone here who's come to worship in anticipation of Christmas would be able to worship and rejoice in anticipation of your son's coming kingdom because they're ready Because there's nothing between them and you. There's nothing that would cause them to need to hide from you. In fact, everything has been put away. There is no shame that remains. Not for Mary. Not for me. Not for anyone who believes your promise concerning Jesus. Oh God, we would pray this morning that if there's someone right here, right now, that perhaps for the first time would get it that your Christmas is not merely about Jesus, Joseph, or Mary, but it's for them. For them to know that you love them and gave your son for them. And Lord, for all of us, that we would would know that like Mary, like Joseph, we have been chosen by you. That we have been chosen to step into your purposes day by day as we follow your leading and listen to your word and do what you say. Go where you would have us go. Even give what you would have us to give. Father, use any of this for your glory. 
and for Jesus our Savior, that we in telling him would bring even today joy to this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray.